Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Accessed That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland, and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows, and the lowdown from people who have been there, access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. Welcome back to Access That. G'day, Ollie. Hey, Carney. Great to be back. I'm so jealous that you actually know our next guest. She's such a cool cat. Yes, our next guest uh, is very cool. Our next guest is Steph Agnew. Uh, Steph, among other things, is a disability advocate and consultant. Uh, Steph uh, was diagnosed with a degenerative eye condition, uh, which she was diagnosed with when she was 19 years old and then proceeded to lose her vision over a 10-year period until she was completely blind at 29 years old. And it was just fascinating to hear her story on travel and, and how she's handled that. It was very interesting to hear how travel and I guess life would change after losing your sight and tapping into your other senses. So I'm looking forward to going back there with a different perspective. Enjoy the chat. Thanks so much for joining us, Steph. We've been really looking forward to this one. We actually first heard your story on the Listen Able podcast and it was very clear that travel really plays a big part in your life. So we knew we had to just get you in here for this chat. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, Steph. No, we're really keen. Yeah, so I guess tell us a bit about your story and uh, and what you do these days and how you've how it's all come about. Yeah, sure. So I haven't always had disability. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I was diagnosed with a degenerative eye condition called cone rod dystrophy and the doctors told me that I was going to go blind. So at 19, I didn't know anyone with disability or anything about disability and to be completely honest with you, I thought my life was going to be over. Uh, and as you said, like I loved to travel. So it was one of my things. Uh, I had my first overseas trip when I was 17. I was lucky enough to go on student exchange over to Germany and live in Germany for three months. Uh, and I really got the travel bug after that. So it was really scary. I thought, how am I going to travel without my sight? Uh, the doctors weren't able to tell me how slow or fast my sight would deteriorate. They said that it could be 12 months or it might be 30 years or I might not lose all of my sight uh, altogether. It ended up being 10 years that I slowly lost my vision and I'm now completely blind and I've been completely blind for about seven years now. I'm not very good with maths, even though I did win the Mass A award and I bring that up all the time in year 12. I think it might have been a token Mass A <laughs> award like a good try ribbon but so how old are you now oh i'm about to turn 37 in two days <laughs> oh happy birthday so you just mentioned your diagnosis which uh you have the word dystrophy in it and i've got a muscle wasting disease myself 
and so dystrophy mm-hmm. is a, a word that I understand. Very life-changing news for a 19-year-old, I can only imagine. So what did you do then when it came to travelling? Uh, my first thing was that when – so I lost my driver's licence at 23 – um, and as soon as I lost my driver's license, I sold my car and went overseas traveling. <laughs> so I was like, I am going yeah. to see as much as I possibly can while I still can see. So I went overseas to Europe. I traveled a lot around Australia when I could get time off work. Um, and yeah, just tried to see as much as I possibly could. And it's really interesting because then my mindset was, well, I'm not going to be able to travel when I can't see, but I know now that that's not true. Uh, Mm -hmm. I can absolutely still travel and do whatever I like traveling. I just do it a little bit differently. So what was your favorite place that you saw before you can no longer see? Hands down Greece. Um, I have been to Greece twice um, Mm -hmm. and I am so in love with it, particularly Santorini and Mykonos. It's just absolutely stunning and I really want to go back there maybe even next year um, to be able to experience it differently but I'll still be able to picture it. So the white buildings with the blue roofs and you you could take a picture there and it looks like a postcard. You could have the cheapest little camera, but it still looks like a postcard. And the food was amazing. The people were great. I just had an absolute ball. So I use a wheelchair, Steph. So Santorini, you can only imagine how much fun I had trying to get up <laughs> up Santorini on a donkey. There was one donkey for me and one donkey for the wheelchair. So talk about your daily life and getting around. How do you do that? Um, so... At the moment, it's 50-50. I have a guide dog called Rocky, um, but I moved back to Queensland. So I'm originally uh, born and bred northwest Queenslander and I moved uh, back to Queensland from Victoria 18 months ago and I was using Rocky full-time, but he is a Victorian dog, so he doesn't really like the heat. So when it gets (laughs) too hot... um, I can't work him because it's not safe for him or fair on him. So I then use a cane. Uh, I work full time. Uh, I travel a lot for work as well. So I travel a lot for pleasure, but I also travel a lot for work. I am flying every month, if not twice to three times a month. So this month I have been to Canberra, Cairns. Amazing. I will be going to Brisbane and the Gold Coast and the Sundays all this month. Oh, my goodness. So I'm from Rocky originally. That's where I grew up. I was born and bred in the beef capital of Australia. So where do you live exactly in Queensland then? Uh, so I live on the Sunshine Coast, so lands of the Gubby Gubby oh, and Ginibra people. And I'm originally from good old Mount Isa. Oh, wow. You're even more country than I am. <laughs> so I just want to find out what you do for work. What makes you travel so much? Uh, So I am a disability inclusion consultant. So I work with organisations and Mm -hmm. governments to help them reach their disability inclusion goals. And that takes me all over Australia. We've we've worked together at Carney, so I know Steph pretty well. We've we've done some of the same sort of work. I I, I don't know if this is a... If this will be a differing question, but it, does your travel routines or travel? How does the travel experience change for you, uh, if at all, with your disability from a work, like from a professional to a pleasure recreational experience? Is it any different? Yeah, it probably is, Ollie, in the sense where 
I don't really get to choose where I go for work. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty much fly in and fly <laughs> out. Um, and I do that independently. So I get assistance. So I'll get a taxi or an Uber or a support worker to take me to the airport. And then I get assistance from the airline to guide me to the gate onto the plane. And then at the other end off and into a taxi and Uber and then go to the hotel or wherever I'm presenting at or um, that piece of work is. And they're quite quick trips normally. Um, And I do all of that sort of independently. I've also got apps that I use that are a video calling service. So to get around the hotel or down to reception or the breakfast area, I'll just video call um, the people on my app and they'll guide me. So I'm able to do that really independently as well. And it it is really helpful. Uh, When I travel for pleasure, there's a lot more planning involved in the sense that I look for really sensory experiences. I can't, I don't, travel to see the sights anymore. Um, I look for things that I'm going to be able to enjoy the same as other people, um, but not focused on that sights. It's more about the smells, the taste, the culture, the ambience, those sorts of things. Um, And I'm generally traveling with a companion because we all like to go away on holidays with with people, with friends or family or our partners. Um, and so that then sometimes reduces a little bit of the stress because I'm not having to rely on people I don't know to necessarily guide me around the airport. I mean, I haven't had any really bad experiences at the airport, but it's sometimes nerve wracking when you don't know the person or um, if they've had any experience in guiding you. We're both wheelchair users, Carney and I. So do you get the... Uh, on first, off last option for the plane? I do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So when I'm traveling independently, I am on first yes. and then you've got to wait till the very end to get off. Yep. When I'm traveling with a companion, I still get on first, but that's because it just, I can have that little bit of extra time, but it's nice to be able to get off with everybody else yeah. and not have to wait an extra half an hour um, <laughs> and be worried about missing your appointment. Must be nice. What about travelling with Rocky? Uh, so Rocky um, is able, is allowed to travel on the plane with me. He is not the biggest fan of planes, so if it's a quick trip, I generally don't take him with me. Um, but what happens is the airline will give me an extra seat at no cost and Rocky lays on a mat uh, at my feet. So he travels in the aircraft uh, just like passengers and not you know, underneath the aircraft like a, a non-working dog. So he'll come onto the plane um, and just lay at my feet. And he is quite a big dog, so he nearly takes up sometimes three seats. Sometimes I think I need an extra extra seat. What kind of dog is he? He's a black Labrador, but he's 37 kilos, so he's quite a big boy. He's a big boy. How do other passengers react to you having a dog on the plane? Uh, most of them get pretty excited that there's a dog on the plane. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a novelty <laughs> for them. Of course. When you mentioned before about um, Rocky being yes. a, a Victorian dog and you have to be mindful of the heat in Queensland yet, so obviously there's a Queensland Guide Dogs Association, I'd imagine, up in Queensland. So are the are the dogs like different? Are they bred different or trained differently to manage the heat, or is is that a thing? Um, as Rocky is a sook. <laughs> Rocky's a sook. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they they don't train them or breed them differently. I think you know when you're born into an environment, you acclimatize a lot better. Um, okay, yeah. But there is still 
rules around working dogs in Queensland as well around certain heats. So you can't work them over, I think up here it might be 28 or 29 degrees. Mm-hmm. I sort of stick with the 27 with Rocky. Also because he's black and he has a really thick coat, that doesn't yeah, help him much. But we've also got shoes. So you've got to be really mindful of the pavement. So if you can't hold the back of your hand on the pavement for more than three seconds, then it's too hot for your dog to be walking on that. And that goes for not just a walking dog, but pet dogs as well. So if we do need to go out and the pavement is too hot, he has these little red and black shoes that he prances around and bounces around (laughs) like they're Air Jordans. Um, And and so he he wears them to protect his feet from his paws from getting burnt. He needs some thongs if he's in Queensland. He's a bit like a tradie. <laughs> We've just arrived at a Karanda Rail Station. Really looking forward to getting onto the train. Uh, my husband has told me that the seats look very luxurious and I'm super excited to try all of the local cheeses. It was also really great. The ticket um, office was really great. They treated me like a normal person, which sometimes I don't get with my disability. Uh, And he also advised that we were in the easy access carriage, which I thought was really, really great. Um, It is, I think, officially called the accessible carriage, but it made me feel like I was the same as everyone. Speaking about your trip to Queensland... Mm. Where did you go? And I know you seek out sensory experiences. Can you tell me a bit more about what you seek out specifically? Yeah, so I suppose it depends where I'm going. So if I use this trip that I've just gone on, so I've just gone uh, gone up to Cairns. Um, so we went up to Coranda and did the Coranda Rail, which I was actually looking forward to. I have done that when I was a little kid and then also – in my early 20s when I could still um, see a fair bit. So I was kind of excited to experience it in a different way and I knew that I wouldn't miss out on everything. I mean, it is very visual, but they also have a soundtrack playing around the history of the rail and the things that you can see out to the left and the right of the carriages. The windows are sort of barred and open so you you could feel the change in temperature, you could hear the waterfalls as you were going past them, the smells and those sorts of things. But my favourite part about the Coranda Rail was actually the food. So we were lucky enough to be in gold class and we had afternoon tea and we had a cheese platter and macadamia nuts and this incredible sorbet. And it was all locally sourced ingredients and sort of cheeses and those sorts of things. And the food was just incredible. Um, I was that kind of sensory thing as well was really great. And I think that was a real standout for me around the whole trip. We had great food experiences and I don't usually travel just for food. I mean, I love great food, but that was probably a standout for me in Cairns through that sensory element of taste. The other really sensory thing that I loved on my trip was I was lucky enough to go to uh one of the great day spas uh, at the resort where we were staying at. And that was a really fantastic experience for a couple of reasons. So uh, I had a gorgeous facial, which was actually 
the best facial I've ever had and I've had a few. So that's Whoa. definitely saying something. It's a big call. Yeah, yeah. It was gorgeous and it was all um, natural and locally sourced ingredients and skincare and there were different aromatherapy smells and essential oils. So it was really quite sensory from a a touch perspective and the feelings, but also uh, the smells and the vibe. But the biggest standout to me was the way I was treated. So often people with disability, we get treated quite differently and particularly being having been a person without disability for 19 to 25 years of my life and then now being a person with disability, I really notice a difference. So a lot of the time I don't get treated like a person. I won't get spoken to directly. You know, things happen and it can be really upsetting and and makes you feel like you're a little bit worthless. But the therapist was incredible with me. You know, she spoke directly to me. She guided me. She didn't mollycoddle me, but you know, asked what assistance she could provide. And she just treated me exactly like a person and like I was treated before I lost my eyesight. And that that kind of customer service stands out to me really hugely. And I will definitely be going back there, not only because it was a great facial, but because of the service that I received. Where was it? We'll, we'll give him a shout out. Uh, the spa was at the Crystal Brook Flynn. Crystal Brook? Yes. Yeah. I was just in Cairns oh. myself, so I know exactly where that just is. Noti- the, I'm just noting that down. Main drag of Cairns there near the uh, Esplanade. Uh, I actually went on, when I was up there a couple of weeks ago, went up to is it Carandra as well. I used I did the Sky Rail. Uh, with my partner, so the Skyrail was um yeah like a I don't know what how they you describe it like the little pods that you go up on the sort of high wire over up the mountain and I think for me too the staff on the the Skyrail similar to the to the train were super supportive and super accessible as well the actual um, thing that we got in was mm. I could fit my chair in by about half a centimeter each side so they had to measure my chair. So it wouldn't be accessible to other wheelchair users <laughs> if your chair was too wide, but it was accessible for me at the on the day and the, the staff was super, super friendly and accommodating, which is always great to have. We chatted about doing the sky rail, whether we went up on the the scenic rail and then came back down on, on those the sky rail. Yeah. Um, having done it before when I was sighted, I kind of I made the decision that that probably wouldn't be really sensory for me because you're glassed in yeah, um, and it is really visual. So I think that's a really great point, Ollie, that mm. some things can be really can be accessible for some people with disability but then others may not be. So um, yeah. I think everybody is unique um, and it's really great that you were able to do that. Yeah. Um, I also know for a fact, Based on the, what the staff said at the time, the um, railway, the train is accessible for wheelchair users as well. I just didn't do it on the day, but they fed it back to me that if I was to go again, I could do the train too, which is very good to know. But I, I agree, Steph. And that's what I thought too when you mentioned um, about the train that, yeah, the the uh, it was all glassed in and there was only one little window with a bit of – and if it rains too, then you, you wouldn't want it open anyway. But um, no, it is – definitely worth noting that there's so much more to accessibility for so many different people it's also about personality too so it's not always just about disability don't you think because i don't personally like going on trains 
I'm I'm a person that loves to get into the ocean and do different things and get out of my wheelchair. Mm. So it's I think we've also got to be mindful of that factor as oh, well. Sure. Like we yeah. don't just do things because they're accessible. Yeah, absolutely. And like I'm not like an adventure traveler. You know, I generally plan my personal holidays on relaxed time. So. Yeah, you've, I've talked about my busy schedule with work. So, yeah, I like to have that time to just switch off and go to a day spa or relax by the pool or those sorts of things. I mean, this trip we did a lot. We definitely squeezed a lot in. Um, but, yeah, usually I would plan things around making sure I've got some downtime in there as well. I'm definitely not an adventure traveller. <laughs> right, I'm with you. So overall, the experience sounded pretty amazing. Was there anything about the trip that you wished had been approached differently? So I think something I would have done differently is we went out to the Great Barrier Reef uh, on an all-day tour and it probably wasn't altogether that sensory for me um, and I think it was it was quite visual. So, mm. yeah, the Great Barrier Reef, I used to work in um, the Whitsundays so I know how beautiful it is. I've snorkeled it, those sorts of things. And being out on an island that's um, uninhabited is really, really great but a lot of the activities were really visual. So snorkeling, glass bottom boats, walking around the island, exploring, you know, doing a tour, those sorts of things. And I think for me, I probably wasn't able to enjoy that as much as everybody else. Uh, I did get in the water and I did try stand-up paddleboarding, which I've wanted to do for a long time. It was a little bit rough, so I couldn't quite get to standing up. Um, so it was great to do that. But I think that, you know, potentially there's opportunities there for some of the guides to maybe come over and say, you do you want to do something a little bit sensory? Like why don't we take you around and you can touch things and feel things and we'll describe things to you in a different way or you know, we could take you on the glass bottom boat and describe to you what we're seeing. So I think sometimes when you travel and when you're traveling mm. with a person, you may not get the support or customer service that you may get if you were traveling independently um, I wouldn't have been able to do that independently. I needed uh, my husband with me to be able to guide me. But I think sometimes when people with disability are with people, you may not necessarily get staff coming up and saying, you know, how can we assist you or, you know, can we do anything to help your experience mm. be really inclusive? So they didn't do anything wrong in the sense like – or or bad or anything like that. But I think that there was de there's definitely opportunities to make that uh, more accessible and inclusive to people who are low vision or blind. Um, you know, I could hear the waves on the beach and that was really lovely sitting on an island. But for me, I couldn't see that I was an island, on an island so it would have felt the same you know, potentially sitting on another beach or on the Esplanade at Cairns. Um, so I think there's there can be opportunity to ask questions, you know, be for staff to be curious and ask questions. And, you know, most of the time we're really happy to to guide people or assist in, in how we can best experience things. 
And don't be afraid, I think, as staff and as um, for customer service, if a person with a disability is already with someone, like a partner or a friend, like I go through it as well, because then if you come up and offer that help as the as the staff, it also will hopefully make um, the support person's experience better too, and, and they might be able to relax a bit or or not be sort of on, um, you know, on guard as much or on the clock, so to speak, from a support point of view. So I think, yeah, don't be afraid to, to just do your thing normally as a staff member and jump in because I've definitely experienced that as well, travelling with my partner or friends. And your husband isn't your support person. He's not a support worker, is he? Exactly. So it's, it's good for yeah. your husband to be your mm. husband. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. And when it comes to stand-up paddle boarding, just so you know, standing is overrated and I do all my stand-up paddling sitting down with an outrigging paddle. So don't feel like you, you have to stand up. And I take my dogs on there as well. So Rocky could go for a little sit-down paddle with you. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to do it again. Just probably it was quite windy, so it was a bit rough and rocky. Um, and so, yeah, even I was able to kneel um, and sit, but I might go and try it maybe in a lake somewhere uh, first so that I can get really get my balance going. Well, Steph, going. my parents live at Cotton Tree and we – I paddle up there all the time. So I'd love to take you paddle boarding and we go over to Goat Island. We take the dogs over there and the dogs run around and they have a great time. So, and it's not at all, well, it sometimes can be a bit choppy, but I'll, I'll make sure I don't take you on a high tide. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> you mentioned the food, Steph, and you said you're not usually big on mm. traveling for food, but you said the food was amazing. What sort of food did we, uh, did we have in, in Cairns? Um, so I definitely love food, but I wouldn't, yeah, I don't plan my trips around food, but it's something that uh, I really enjoy. So the local cheeses on the Coranda Rail were really great. There was one that was like had macadamia nuts in it um, and the sorbet was incredible. Ooh. It was a mango sorbet and uh, I was sort of just expecting it to be sort of blended through, but there were whole pieces of mango in it um, and I love mango. We grew up with a couple of mango trees in our backyard, so I am definitely partial to fresh mango. So that was really amazing. And then we had a really great dinner uh, on the Saturday night at Dundee's on the waterfront and the food was to die for. And the atmosphere was really lovely too. So we were walking through, uh, we had to walk, it was about a 15 to 20 minute walk from the resort to Dundee's and the streets and the Esplanade were packed because the Matildas were playing France. So there's people everywhere, all of the bars were loud and your music pumping and that sort of thing. And we got to Dundee's and they had this beautiful soft music playing and the, the vibe in there was just so nice. And my husband was describing it to me and said it was huge. Like there was lots of different areas and they were packed. They were fully booked, but you wouldn't, you didn't feel like that. You felt like where you were sitting was quite private. You could sort of hear other people, but it didn't feel like you were all packed in or that the whole place was booked out. The food came out really quickly. I had an incredible pasta. Um, my husband had uh, fresh barramundi. And then uh, we both had a dessert. The staff were really great. The service was great. But, yeah, the food was just so yum and I would definitely go back there. And you couldn't get more Australian than Dundee's. Exactly. <laughs> the name. It's awesome. <laughs> Is there a place on your list where you want to go back, whether that's in Europe, overseas or Australia, where where you went with sight and now that you 
Uh, blind, is there somewhere you want to go and experience both? Yeah, I think definitely Santorini. Um, it will be interesting, though, because of all of the cobblestones. I know we spoke about that earlier. Uh, my cane tends to get stuck a lot in cobblestones, so it might it would be interesting. So the wheelchair wheels. So the front caster wheels. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, I think Santorini. Um, I've always wanted to go to Japan and I always wanted to go and see the cherry blossoms and I wonder whether you'd be able to smell the cherry blossoms. So obviously I wouldn't be able to see it during cherry blossom season, but you know, potentially I could experience it through the smell. Mm. I also said that I used to work in the Sundays, So I uh, worked on Daydream Island Resort and Spa for 12 months uh, in my younger days and I'd really love to go back there. Um, it has changed a little bit. It had a lot of damage from a cyclone and so I know a lot has changed but I think it would be really nice to go there because I'd be able to mm. get around knowing where everything was. Um, you know, the buildings are still in the same spot. It's just the names of the restaurants have changed and there's a few little changes. But being able to really visualise that I think the same thing goes, I used to live in Darwin for uh, four and a half years and every time I go back to Darwin, I feel like I'm home. I know I can navigate because I know, I see it all in my head and I'm able to get around there as well quite quite easily. Speaking about sensory experiences, a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, when you go to a traditional community and, and, and sit with the elders and have a yarn, they do incorporate a lot of your other senses, you know, your smell and hearing mm. and talking and, and they're really good at describing the, the like nature around. Have you done much travel in those sort of communities? Um, not since losing my sight. So growing up in Mount Isa, I definitely did. Um, yep. you, we, we were, we definitely had connections to a lot of community up mm -hmm. there and that was, you know, I reflect on it now, I'm so lucky to be able to have been invited into those communities and to experience some of the things that I uh, was able to experience as a child. But I have been reflecting on that again recently, thinking that would be, re I think it would be really sensory and it is you on my list when I travel next in, in Australia to be able to really go through and learn more about the cultures of, of different First Nations communities in Australia. And I definitely want to do it here as well yeah. where I live because I think it's important to be able to experience that and know a lot more about the elders and the traditions of where I live. Well, you're really close to Sherberg, but also Torres Strait, Thursday Island and even Palm Island. I'm not sure if you have to be welcomed on. I'm, I'm luckily and privileged enough to be welcomed on to Palm Island. But, yeah, the, the elders and when you go around and do and listen, I was quite surprised and it was beautiful to be able to, to, to hear how they speak about nature and they really do describe it so vividly and I think it I think it would be something that you may like and enjoy yeah I absolutely agree um it's definitely been and I'm coming with around you. yes let's do it <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story before we wrap things up we like to ask everyone this one question if there was one thing you could change to make travel more accessible, what would it be? Uh, for everybody with disability to be treated like a person. So for all staff, 
um, in the tourism industry, in airlines, everywhere, um, to be uh, to speak directly to us and and to treat us like everybody else. Wouldn't that be a relief? That would be. Yep, that would be the one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there at Access That. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel.